Thanks for joining us on Monday night edition of the Locked On Nets podcast, a mailbag edition of the Locked On Nets podcast. We are talking the Nets rotation, how their new ball handler Shavaz Napier is going to look in that rotation, and a brilliant story on Jared Allen. All that and more next on the Locked On Nets podcast. You are Locked On Nets, your daily Brooklyn Nets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You are listening to the Locked On Nets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I am Gavin Shaw. After a three-week vacation in Europe, see, I switched it up. I am back in my native New York talking about your Brooklyn Nets, and I am joined by Josh Bass in his new apartment. Josh, how are the digs treating you? Uh, digs are treating me well so far. Fingers crossed that that continues. Uh, no major roommate problems. Mm. No major life problems. So uh, excited to, to get into some Nets basketball, you know? Great balance. And uh, we have a mailbag edition of the Locked on Nets podcast. Uh, the good news is uh, we didn't have to make up questions or solicit questions from our friends. The bad news is we did only get four, and some of them are pretty similar to each other, so we're just going to do the first two segments on that. I know I'm really selling it. Ask more questions, guys. Ask more then, questions. Yeah, well, maybe, I don't know, maybe we should reset up the email. But yeah, you can always ask us on Twitter as well. I know we, we got a couple on Twitter, but we'd love more. Um, yeah, anyways, uh, so we'll do two on that, and then we will get into uh, the Bleach Report story on Jared Allen. That was uh, awesome. And yeah, and just before we get into this, I just wanted to clarify, at least uh, for the rest of the dead season, so probably... Until I guess preseason starts beginning of October, so for the next two months or so, uh, plan is to probably do two episodes a week. Uh, last week was kind of tough with our schedules, but uh, yeah, that's going to be the plan going forward. All right, opening question from the Vince Barter of Reddit fame: How many players do you think Kenny Atkinson will run for his usual lineups? Uh, I wanted to be a dick and say five initially, but I assume I assume Vince is saying uh, rotation. So I will. I will say 9 to 10, and it depends on, I, I think, like, the three kind of X factors there are uh, Kenneth Fareed, Jared Dudley, and uh, Nunet, who we haven't had a chance to talk about yet, probably we'll get to him next episode, uh, Travion Graham, uh, and, and the guy, the guys who are definite are uh, D'Lo, Alan Crabb, uh, Rondé Hollis-Jefferson, Karis LeVert, Damari Carroll, Spencer Dinwiddie, Joe Harris, and uh, Shabazz Napier. Josh, how do you feel about that assessment? I think I think it's pretty spot on. I mean, last year Atkinson pretty much played uh, ten or eleven guys a night, and unless any of the Nets perimeter players really separate themselves, let's say D'Angelo Russell lives up to his uh, billing and becomes a stud, or Karis Levert takes a huge leap and now he's um, just deserving thirty, thirty-two minutes a game. I don't really see the rotation condensing just because the Nets do have a lot of good players, but no one that's really gonna. Uh, separate themselves from the pack. Hopefully that doesn't happen, or hopefully that does happen, and someone can really take a leap. But as of now, you have a bunch of similar guys. Kenny Atkinson, someone that wants to play everyone, make sure people are in rhythm. So I'm assuming 10 or 11 guys, and really the people you gave are, are pretty much spot on. Going to be people like Jared Dudley and Travion Graham, most likely competing for minutes, but uh, everyone else should be getting a decent amount of playing time. Yeah, well, well it's interesting because I think on our last pod, we were talking about it, and I think the I, th- I think your opinion at the time was that Dudley would get those minutes as a stretch four, and he's more of a natural fit 
in that spot. And, and this, this kind of gets to a question uh, later on. So maybe, maybe we shouldn't step on it, but I, I think, I think the main way Kenneth three would play is as a five. And I think that would, that would take an injury because as of now, uh, Jared Allen and Ed Davis are clearly ahead of him in that pecking order. Yeah. I mean, I just don't see, I feel like unless there's an injury, Allen and Davis are going to get an overwhelming, overwhelming majority of the minutes at the five as they should, just because they are two. Uh, in Allen's case has a ton of potential. Davis is a pretty proven player, good defender. Uh, and you don't need to be mixing and matching that much. I mean, they'll probably each play, Allen will probably play 27, 28 minutes. Davis will play 20. They're not going to be that gassed. So God forbid an injury um, happens. Then we have to look and be a bit more creative, whether it be Fareed getting some minutes at the five, even going super small like they did last year with RHJ or Damari Carroll at the five. But I think for the most part, it's going to be those two, Allen and Davis, as the pillars of that position. All right, and I'm generally with you. And uh, if, we, if we want to take kind of a deeper dive on this we can jump over to definitely wrong butts question and he said going off this what do you think the minute spread will be all right so let's let's operate uh we're going with a total of 240 minutes because that's how many is available on a game-to-game basis and on the surface these numbers will probably look collectively a little bit lower maybe a little bit generous because i only had a let me see two four six eight nine man rotation here and maybe it ends up being more than that so the minutes for the backups get even more diluted. But I, I think these minute totals, at least for the star guys, are going to look a little bit low. And inevitably, they're going to end up being higher because there are going to be injuries and there are going to be games where someone like D'Angelo Russell has to play 35 minutes, Alan Crabb has to play 35 minutes. But this is, in a perfect world, everyone stays healthy, how I think the minutes would be distributed. So, Josh, I wrote this out. Uh, I'm just, I'm just going to read all of it out, and you can let me know uh, where you have issue or where, where you agree. All right, I had uh, D'Angelo Russell and Alan Crabb Leading the Nets each at 28 minutes a game, I, I think D'Lo is, is your star player, or at least that's how the Nets see him, and he, he's the guy that they're going to want on the court as much as humanly possible. Alan Crabb, uh, there's so much overlap on this team, and he's one of the kind of unique entities in that he can certainly guard his position, and he really brings some size on top of his shooting ability. Uh, Rondé Hollis-Jefferson, same deal. I have him at 27 minutes. Um, again, only guy who can really play that four spot and I, I think hold up defensively and also make a lot of, I guess just make sense on both ends of the floor at the four spot. Uh, Karis LeVert, I think he's going to make a leap this season. So I have him at around 27. Damari Carroll, Nets most valuable player last year and a starter, 26. Spencer Dinwiddie, you can also make that case, 26. Joe Harris, another guy who should be better this year, 25. And then just rounding out that rotation, I had Jared Dudley at 16. That could very easily be Travion Graham, but you figure he's going to play some power forward. Uh, so I'll keep him there. And then Shabazz Napier at 15. I think that'll end up being higher when there's some injuries at that guard spot. And then for the bigs, I just, this was a lot easier. I just divided the center minutes, um, just out of 48, uh, Jared Allen, 27 Ed Davis, 21, essentially what you said before. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's pretty good. I think that, yes. um, <laughs> yeah, you get my approval, Gab, but I mean, minutes, it could be a couple off, but for the most part, sounds about right. I think the good thing with not playing guys a ton of minutes is that if someone were to get hot, you can play them and they'll still be fresh. It's not like someone is going to be playing 35 minutes out of the first 40. They're on fire. and Now they're running on fumes for the last few minutes of the game. All these guys should be pretty fresh um, in case Kenny Atkinson decides to ride the hot hand. Um, kind of the distribution you laid out, I'd say a little high for, for crab um, and also for Dinwiddie and Harris. I think that, Harris, I mean, he's great, but he's going to get, I 
be surprised if he cracks 20 minutes a game this year. Crab, I'm just super not impressed with, as any uh, listener of the podcast knows. I think he's going to be more around 23-24, or at least I'd hope. Uh, Dinwiddie, I think he could be phased out a little bit this year, especially if they try to trade him. Um, but we'll see. I think it's pretty accurate for the most part. RHJ could be a little bit more because, as you mentioned, he is an integral part of the Nets rotation. He is someone that can defend and also create his own shot. Yeah, I, I wouldn't mind going a little deeper on some of these. I'm sure we will as the summer goes on. But I, I guess my, my questions there are, like, who do – do you think it's Levert playing more minutes than Krabby's? I'm kind of – I'd be I'd be interested to see them go in that direction too. I guess Crab just makes a little bit more sense next to a ball-dominant point guard. And, and the other thing there is presumably they expect him to be – if not much improved, at least marginally improved this season with the way he finished last year and, and the money they invested in him and in the fact that it's his first full offseason as a net. And he, he actually, this this kind of surprised me, and I know it's partially because of injuries, but he actually played 29 minutes a game last year. So do you think this is just a product of a healthier rotation uh, resulting in him playing less? Or why, why do you think Crab will go down from that number? Yeah, I think last year they were just trying to make it work for him. I mean, it was he was a big-time acquisition for them. Um, they really saw that he, someone that could grow from his role in Portland, it didn't happen, but they were really just trying to pigeonhole it in and say, Hey, we need to make this guy a good player. We need to make sure it's a good trade. Um, I don't think it was as kind of overt as I'm probably saying out loud, yeah. but he does fill a role theoretically as a shooter. He just can't make shots really. Um, and he's, he's decent enough at a few different things. He's a decent defender because he is, um, good size and, decent mobility so I think theoretically he fits a need for them I just don't think that um, Kenny Atkinson is going to put up with another season of the same play so 20 games in if he's still at the same level he was last year I could see Atkinson being like okay uh, we need to kind of take a step back reduce his minutes he's just not going to be the player we thought he was Um, and maybe he's only down to 18-20 minutes a game and not necessarily being a starter or someone that's going to be counted on as a big part of the rotation for the rest of the year. Yeah, we, we, we've talked about the Nets' depth, and, and it was even a big subject last year. And, and the fact is the bench was good last season, but I think there's clearly a lot more talent up and down the roster now. And, and I think it's ultimately going to be really positive for the Nets because it's going to foster an environment of competitiveness and, and a notion that your spot isn't necessarily a given. And, and you go through a stretch like D'Lo did pretty much all of last season where you don't play any defense, or like Dinwiddie did where he couldn't shoot for two months and like you're just not necessarily going to play because now you have Shabazz Napier who's a really credible third guard there where you didn't have anyone last year because Jeremy Lin was hurt for most of the season anyways we're going to get into that next on the Locked On Nets podcast and it's just perfect because our our next question leads us in that direction uh again from definitely wrong bud who's just setting us up to fail with that username he says what do you expect from the new ball handlers. And he, he uses the plural there, but to me, the only, unless you, maybe maybe we should talk about Travion Graham a little bit, though he's not really someone who's going to be dribbling all that much. But to me, like that really just is asking about Shabazz Napier and how you think he's going to fit in. And, and Josh, you kind, of, you kind of touched on this when you were talking about that minute distribution and Spencer Dinwiddie potentially taking a step back next year. I wonder how that sorts out between the two of them because on one hand you can make a very compelling argument that Dinwiddie was the Nets' most valuable player last year. I, I think we were both on the same page for most of the season that we thought Dinwiddie was a better player than D'Angelo Russell, even though Russell uh, put up 
uh, more gaudy stats and was a little bit flashier. Uh, but it, I'm wondering if it could go the opposite way this year and someone like Shabazz Napier, who was really excellent in a limited role in Portland last year, could come in and potentially even take on a bigger role than Dinwiddie. And, and that sounds kind of insane on the surface, but you look at Dinwiddie's production prior to last year, you look at his production prior to the All-Star break, I mean, excuse me, after the All-Star break, and it just, it, it seems very feasible that he's a guy who could fall out of an NBA rotation. You know, I, I, I disagree with that because he was asked to do so much on this Nets team last year, yeah. and he was overexposed in that role, but he is an extremely good complimentary player. He's also a very good defender who can guard both ones and twos, and looking at someone like Shabazz Napier, he might fit a bit cleaner on offense because he doesn't need the ball as much, good uh, spot-up shooter, uh, can attack closeouts, but Dinwiddie just gives so much more versatility on defense than Napier would because, let's say, Shabazz Napier and D'Lo are playing together, now naming ones where he's a bit of a liability. D'Lo's guarding twos where he's still a big liability, and now your perimeter defense is shot, and that's putting a ton of pressure on guys like Jared Allen. Right. So I guess I guess the question would be, how do you really sort that out? Because it seems like Dinwiddie offensively is is maybe the best possible complement to Napier. Or, or you, you could say, I think Napier fits with D'Lo or Dinwiddie. But defensively, maybe you need Dinwiddie next to Napier and like, Napier and D'Lo together just isn't necessarily sustainable. But if if you're looking at D'Lo as the guy who clearly is going to play the most minutes out of that group, like I'm not quite sure how that works out. Like, how how do you see like that scenario kind of sorting itself out? Yeah, well, I think D'Lo and Dinwiddie, uh, with more reps, can can play together a little bit. And also, I'd say D'Lo and Alan Crabb can play together. So the D'Lo Napier fit is going to be a bit of a disaster on defense. But also, I don't think it's something that Kenny Atkinson is going to. Um, be against trying and just throw it out there, see what happens. He's very open to trying different lineups. Um, hopefully something sticks. And, you know, they could just be outscoring people by so much with uh, those two on the court. And Allen could be erasing mistakes at the rim um, that it, it works out. I don't think it's a great fit on paper, but you never know. Yeah, and I guess I'm, I'm kind of interested to see how Karis LeVert uh, fits into that mix. And again, if someone like Jared Dudley falls out of the rotation, I think that becomes a lot more feasible because you could play Levert more at the three and just go kind of small. And, and keep in mind, obviously, Dinwiddie is like 6'5", 6'6", Delos 6'5". So, I mean, even, even though those guys aren't necessarily great defenders, in the case of Delo, he's an awful defender, at least from a size perspective that is somewhat sustainable. And if, if you expect Karis Levert to bulk up quite a bit coming into this year, like I do, like maybe he could feasibly guard small forwards on some nights, depending on who he's going against. But I, I'd, I'd be interested to see what three-man combinations they put out there and how those guys fit off the ball. Because last year, to me, that was something that was kind of solved by injury issues. Like Levert got a lot of time, even even playing as a pseudo point guard. D'Lo got a lot of time playing point guard when he was healthy. Dinwiddie had plenty of time to just pound the ball. And this year, with Napier in that mix, and presuming none of these guys suffer injuries where they're out for half of the majority of the season, I, I think that's going to be a bigger issue, and it's really going to come to light whether or not these can, guys can survive as off-ball players. Yeah, I think, especially for all these guys that are not like super out-of-this-world talented, they haven't proven that they can be good starters on, on quality teams yet, so they have to learn to play off the ball. That's an important skill set especially if you're not someone, let's say the Nets are a 50-win team in, in three years. Who knows, who can say if any of these guys will be the face of that team? Yeah. So they have to be adaptable, have to be able to play off the ball, have to be willing to defend, and hopefully good things come of it. But they can't just act entitled and be like, okay, I'm a scorer, 
uh, I'm the shooter. I'm not going to um, cut off the ball. I'm just going to sit here and, and pout and wait for the ball to get back to me. It really has to be a team effort. And I think that's something that Kenny Atkinson and Sean Marks are really going to instill from the top down. Yeah. So hopefully D'Angelo Russell learns to be a bit more um, of an all-around player. Right. And no, I, I think that's absolutely a necessity. That being said, in a few years, I mean, it's it's probably, I guess it would be either Kawhi Leonard or Kyrie Irving as the face of the team. Like, I, I don't know which one, but it would, I, I just assume it would be one of those yeah. two. Well, it, it would be like a 52% Kawhi Leonard, 48% Kyrie, like a face morph. Sure. Yeah, no, that's that's probably where I could uh, see it going. By the way, uh, that's a, uh, a plug for our next podcast where I want to spend two segments talking about a hypothetical dream world where uh, Kawhi joins the Brooklyn Nets because I, I think... I think we're too down in the dumps talking about all the, I don't, I don't want to say all these scrubs because the Nets have a lot of nice players, but like all these like mediocre guys. And like, we don't, we don't spend enough time talking about the superstars in the league. So why not talk about one who will inevitably join the Nets next season? All right. Uh, just final, final thought, because he did ask about Shabazz Napier. And I feel like we really haven't devoted a ton of time to talking about him specifically. I'm, I'm really excited about him. Like I, I know like the fit isn't that clean with all the Nets depth at point guard and all, all the two guards they have to fit in as well. But he was just he was just really fun to watch last year in Portland. I, I liked him a lot in college, and I was always kind of disappointed he wasn't better in the NBA, and I thought he was kind of on his last legs joining Portland. And, and he proved to be someone who made just a giant leap last season and was just incredibly crafty and combined that uh, with hitting 37.6% of his three-pointers. He's, he's to me like, like that, that, that's what I want out of my – backup point guard, at least offensively, someone who's really, really smart and can shoot. Like, not a great athlete, but he's quick, and he, and he really knows how to play. So I'm, I'm excited to see him in Brooklyn. Yeah, no, I'm excited. I think uh, he's – I feel like since college, he's someone that really shines on the big stage. Uh, so excited to have him on the team. I think he's going to be, at worst, a very competent backup and maybe someone that can uh, really be a building block of this piece going – of this team going forward. And I think the, the Nets have him under contract for both – for next two years, right? It's a team option for the second year. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, so if he plays well, um, then he'll be uh, getting underpaid for 2019-20. So that's uh, that's good from our point of view. Yeah, it's a dream. Uh, yeah, no, he's he's gonna be. I'm I'm just I'm so interested. I'm really like I am sure by I'm sure by like game like 60, I'll be I'll be a little less uh, a little less puppy like about it. But I'm, I'm I am really excited for game one. Like I just I just want to see how this rotation sorts itself out. Uh, speaking of that, a question from DRock. This one from Twitter. His handle is at underscore D underscore rock. Give him a follow. Uh, what's the likelihood that <laughs> done? Uh, what's the likelihood that Kenny Atkinson plays a more traditional lineup with the upgrades of Ed Davis and Kenneth Reed Sean Marks provided? Uh, and then he, he gives an example of his uh, maybe not his ideal rotation, but just one that would uh, be more quote unquote traditional. It would be D'Lo, Crab, Carroll, Fareed, Allen starting, uh, backup point guards, Dinwiddie, Napier, two guards, Levert, Harris, uh, Zanin, uh, threes, RHJ, Curix, uh, Dudley, and then just Davis as a backup five. Uh, I, 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 wrote, I wrote this in our, in our little prep doc, but I, I, think it's, I think it's pretty highly unlikely. We, we hinted at it in the last segment. I, I think Fareed will, unless, unless the Nets are just getting so brutally beaten up on the boards like like the game last year where Charlotte came all the way back against them and Dwight had 30 rebounds like that would be an example of where maybe you'd have either Fareed and Allen or Fareed and Davis out there simultaneously but outside of that scenario or if there are massive injuries I don't think it makes any sense because the Nets they're I mean their whole style is predicated around 
four out basketball and you can you can question it. I think they have the shooting and playmaking this year to make it a little bit more sustainable, but that's how they make up their gap in talent or the deficit in talent they face almost each and every night. And it's not like Farid is such a big upgrade over Dudley or RHJ or Carroll or whoever you slot in at the four spot defensively that like you just have to have him out there for a certain stretch of the game. So I, I don't think it really necessarily makes sense to go traditional and it seems like totally against what the Nets are trying to do. But is, is there an angle I'm missing on that? No, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head. It's just like the Nets aren't going to win anything playing traditional. Yeah. Especially someone like for, I mean, if maybe if Fareed was like LaMarcus Aldridge and you're playing him at the four, fine. But Fareed's an energy guy. He has no discernible skills, really. Um, it's not like he's going to be beasting power forwards and, and being able to get a lot of post-up buckets. It's just like a, an energy hustle guy. So playing him at the four just completely neuters any advantage that you have. Um, so, yeah, if he had some sort of special skill set, whether he was a great passer, um, amazing defender, or switch guy, who knows. Than, than maybe, but for the fours the Nets have on the roster right now, the traditional fours, it wouldn't make sense to uh, play that sort of lineup. It's for if Reed's going to get any time, it'll be at the five. Yeah, I still I still think it's crazy that like five years ago he was maybe like the fourth, third or fourth best guy on Team USA when when they had that World Cup and he was like their leading rebounder, fourth leading scorer. That, that's still kind of wild to me. All right. Uh, anyways, we will take uh, one final break. Come back for a quick segment on Bleacher Report's uh, awesome story on Jarrett Allen. Thanks for joining us one final time on this Monday edition of the Locked on Nets podcast. We are talking about uh, Leo Sepkowitz and his story on Jarrett Allen. Uh, Josh, this, this was a lot of fun to read, and there were just a bunch of good little tidbits on there. We're, we're going to get into some of our, our takeaways from the story, but my, my biggest one is – this this just convinced me that Jaren's Jared Allen's upside is, is just ridiculous, and I I started moving that direction last year when we saw how good he was so quickly, or I guess yeah so quickly into his NBA tenure, but he he just really wasn't interested in high level basketball until the end of his high school career. He only got calls from schools at the level of Texas. And like uh, the beginning of senior year of his senior year, and now when, when basketball recruiting for most guys who are going to make it into the NBA starts when they're in middle school or they're a freshman in high school or at the latest when they're a sophomore in high school, the fact that Jared Allen got involved that great and, and by his own words wasn't really that big of a sports fan growing up. Like he he was a big gamer and he didn't even really play 2K when he was growing up. Like like to me like all, all those things point to a guy who's just now kind of discovering the game of basketball on a really high level. And there was a note in here that he didn't even really watch film at the beginning of his rookie season. And like the net staff kind of realized that they got concerned. They told him to do it. And right away, he was just kind of of the personality that like he wasn't going to do that unless someone got on his ass about it. But when they did, he, he totally locked in and became a different guy. And to me, this, this just convinces me the ceiling for him is, is maybe even higher than we give it credit for. Yeah. Honestly, that article was, was shocking. I mean, I think like we all know that he's really interested in stuff outside of basketball. I mean, when he was drafted, there was talk about him building uh, computers and, and doing all that. And he's a super smart guy. Um, but yeah, it just it's crazy to me that someone can make the NBA and not be like a big sports fan or like specifically a basketball fan. They mentioned that uh, he considers himself a, a Spurs fan, but didn't even know that how Gasol played on the team or when the last championship was. I mean, this is a guy that's in the NBA. Yeah just, I guess, singularly focused on his game, 
doesn't really have time for the outside stuff. Most of his time outside of getting better is his other interests, which is great. I mean, I think it's, um, it's great if you have that uh, release outside of um, what you're doing just to just to decompress and, and have that time um, to really reflect and, and focus when you need to. Yeah, no, and it's, I don't know, I think it's like, it's, it's kind of, it's healthy because you don't necessarily burn out to the same degree. And then, I, yeah, no, for sure. Um, I think, I think it was, it was, it was pretty telling because he, he was saying he was, he was in a draft interview with Portland and this was a quote from his uh, college coach, uh, Shaka Smart, one of the great names in sports. And, and he, he was saying like Portland asked him, can you live without basketball? And Jared's like a very literal person. Like I feel like almost anyone else in the draft, like even if they didn't genuinely believe it would have been like, like, no, like the game's like my life. And for some people, like, I think like, like someone like Colin Sexton, like, I mean, like, I don't like maybe Colin Sexton has a ton of outside interest, but that guy just seems so singularly focused. And like, I, I think most guys who enter the league are in that mold where like for 10 to 15 years, like this has been their whole life. This is what they do for eight to 10 hours a day. This is what they love. And, and for Jared, he, he was like, honest, he was like, yeah, like I could live without basketball. Like it would suck. I love basketball. I enjoy playing it. I hope to have a 20 year career if I can, can I live without it? Yeah, absolutely. It's not, it's not like what defines me. And like, I thought like, I mean, one, one just that's like, that's cool. That's a part of his personality that like he took that literally and was like, yep, like I can live without it. But it, I, I kind of, I don't know. I kind of like that answer. Yeah. What kind of question is that also? I mean, good for him for not giving yeah. the answer that they clearly wanted to hear. Yeah, but like I would, you you would die without it. All right, and then uh, there were just just a couple other like tidbits in this article. Like, really, again, give give a lot of credit to the writer uh, Leo uh, Sepkowitz. In case he's a fan of this podcast, Leo, uh, I, I DM'd you on Twitter. We would love to have you on at some point. A lot a lot of good little notes. Uh, one that I, I thought was fascinating was like when we were kind of mystified or at least like, I, I don't know. I think you, you probably got it quicker than me that the Nets were just going to plan on buying Dwight Howard out. Like I was kind of of the opinion. I'm like, Oh, they're going to keep him. And like, he maybe he's going to back up Allen. And like, and Allen was kind of, of like the same opinion. Like he didn't realize right away that they were going to just buy him out. And he, he was actually like, he was kind of confused, but he, he was also excited. Like Howard was like Allen's favorite player growing up. And, and there's a note in there that he's saying he was disappointed, but only because he realized he'd have to guard Howard in practice. And like, I, I don't know. I thought that was, that was a little funny, but like, it, I don't know. It would have, it's, it's a cool, it's a nice little hypothetical that like, it would have been, it was, it was interesting to see that like, he wasn't just immediately like angry and, and, and shocked that they went out and got Dwight Howard. Yeah, no, I think it all points to the fact that he's a very cerebral person. He's not just going to overreact to one thing. He understands that he has a long runway ahead of him, uh, continuously trying to get better, not upset about, um, maybe being drafted to a certain team or, or possibly getting traded uh, or get having his team trade for guys that could play ahead of him, really just focus on getting better. And he understands that if that happens, it will all work out. And whether that's watching more film, spending more time in the weight room, um, he's just taking the step necessary to become that, that top-notch center. Yeah. No, and you, and you, and you really, I mean, it makes you excited. And, and to that point, uh, they asked uh, Spencer Dinwiddie, his, uh, his best friend on the team, which I'm not sure if we knew that cool note, uh, where he's improved the most this offseason, and he's apparently sampling a Euro step to try and slow himself down on dives to the rim, and I think that's good just for like his long term health to have that in the back pocket, even if it's not necessarily like effective as like a move in and of itself. And like at least last year, he didn't really have much of a face up and drive game, but I, I think it's good to have some mechanism to not just barrel towards the rim. Because there were times last year where I was kind of scared that he was just gonna crash into the stanchion or he just go like flying to the basket so it, it's nice that he's he's focused on that and then improving his three ball this one 
a little bit more of a long shot. Like I think it's something that could come with time. I'm not sure if it's going to be an essential weapon for him next year, but he claims in practice he's hitting around 50% of them, which again, like that's something like most NBA players can do, even most centers. So I I don't want to take that as gospel just yet that that's going to be a big part of his game, but still, uh, still interesting, I'll say. Yeah, no, it, it definitely is. I mean, he had a couple threes last year, and that was, uh, I think it was probably a season highlight for yeah. some of them. No, for sure. All right, uh, three three final quick ones, and then we'll, we'll we'll leave you be. He's never been to a bar before. Does not own a fake ID. Probably uh, probably wouldn't need one because he's like seven one and he's on the nets. Uh, he's also been. He also recently spent two hours at the Museum of Natural History, which Josh, for you and me, I, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe maybe not as much for you. For me, that was that was my spot growing up. That's my like favorite place in the world. So shout out to Jared Allen. Uh, glad he got to see some dinosaurs. Glad he got to see the giant whale. Uh, walked on the same steps our friend Tonus's walk. So that's that, that, that's all really big. And then uh, finally, last one, and I just thought this was funny. Uh, he has a habit of saying, I'm not going to lie as if a strong opinion is forthcoming before revealing something completely unobjectionable. Like, I feel like most, people, yeah. most people do that. I don't know, really. I don't know. I don't know like a lot of people who like, yeah, I guess, I guess it's just like, it's just like a saying, but I don't know. Just like something about it, like, like coming just because he's like so earnest. Like, I don't know. There's something kind of endearing about it in my mind. I like it. It's like, I'm not going to lie, but like, I, I love chocolate. Like, yeah, it's yeah, just yeah. Innocuous. I, I guess, I guess the difference is like, like you or I would say that with like a little bit of like irony. Like, I feel like, I feel like Jarrett's like, Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe maybe I'm underestimating sense of humor. I, I think it's I, I think it's earnest. Anyways, I think uh, you're, the point, you're underestimating that. Maybe uh, the point the point of all this is uh, we love Jared Allen. Very excited to keep seeing him improve. He's a great net. I think he's going to be a great net for a long time. Low ego. He, he just seems like a great guy. I don't know. All right. Anyways, uh, we're approaching thirty minutes, so that'll be it for this edition of the Locked On Nets podcast. Josh, appreciate you joining me. Uh, go go get your run in. I was actually going to do a row. You were going to do uh, a row. Ah, well, but, but close enough. You know, let's just, we'll start over. We'll start, that's not going to sound good. All right. Uh, that's it for this edition of the Locked on Nets podcast. Next time around, uh, we are talking the hypothetical of Kawhi Leonard as a Brooklyn Net.